I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions... Please, please, oh please, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Thank you to our patrons, of course, for supporting us. Now, a very pleasurable experience I'm having uh, this week. Listeners, you won't be able to tell, but I'm actually in the room, the same room for once, with my beautiful co-host, Mr. Ian Morris. It's absolutely brilliant. I can see your face, and that makes me very happy. I can see more of you than I'd like, <laughs> um, but it, but it's it's nice to be in your presence. It, it, it's very rare we actually get to do the podcast while we're breathing each other's uh, exhaled air. Yes, and I think that uh, I think that's a great shame. I think we you know we would benefit from you know the same air source more often. I agree. Well, you can all enjoy uh, Ian and I together. You may at certain parts of the show this week notice a few other changes uh, that I'm not going to preempt. I'm just going to leave that dangling like the temptress it is <laughs> and uh, and I'll look forward to the feedback next week um, but anyway let's open the uh, let's open the the kimono on this uh, this week's news um, Amazon is working on acquiring a significant number of small retail sites as it lays the groundwork to bring its checkout free grocery shops to Britain this is according to a write-up in the Times this week the paper said the web giant is seeking stores of between 4,000 square feet and 5,000 square feet according to industry sources which which are suitable for Amazon Go. Now, this is its fledgling chain that uses technology to track what shoppers put in their baskets so they can be automatically billed when they leave. No queuing required, no items in any bagging areas. There are four stores like this already in the US, and the Times reminds us in its write-up that physical outlets also serve as convenient locations for Amazon customers to pick up their online purchases. Now, Ian. Yes. This seems like a very smart, logical next step. I suppose it does, because even with Amazon Prime, there are still times where I think, I wish I could just get this either now or not have to worry about it being delivered to my house, because I'm not always there. In fact, I'm very rarely there now. Uh, don't break into my house. That's my. That's the message I want you to take away from this. Um, so yes, I can see that making sense. Um, I'm not sure, in terms of Amazon's you know future it it kind of what worries me is that we have retailers that offer similar services i don't know what amazon's going to bring to the table apart from maybe a little bit more convenience now i don't want you to think that i don't love the idea of walking into a shop picking stuff up and walking out without any need to either you know physically get out a card and pay for it or deal with a self-checkout, because obviously I would rather never deal with one of those stupid machines ever again. You should see Ian's face when he's interacting with an automated shop assistant, <laughs> uh, telling him to take things out of a bagging Pure area. Pure rage. It's rage like you cannot imagine. It's actually it's actually not so much that. <clears throat> it's more... Because I sort of understand the mechanism through which you get told to take the item out of the bagging area. It's usually because you haven't scanned it properly. So I scan, wait for the thing, put it in the bag. 
What really irks me is when you put your own bag on, which you pretty much have to do now unless you want to pay 5p for plastic, uh, you put it on and it goes, please remove the last item from the bagging area because that last item is the first item and it's my bag. So why can't I put my bag in the bagging area? That doesn't happen very often, but it's annoying when it does. I have actually noticed that a lot of shops, um, and I'll name check both Waitrose and Co-op, are moving away from that thing where they weigh everything to make sure you're not trying to steal stuff. I guess the science shows them that actually people aren't stealing things like that at all. Um, I suspect it's really, they've realised that it's not worth it and it just causes so many problems, it's just easier to forgo it. Well, Amazon's view is that none of that is necessary anyway and, and essentially wants to let people walk into a shop kind of maybe already knowing what they want, that's why mm. they've gone there. And then just pick it up and leave. Like that's that's the yes. appeal. And 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 the kind of products that it will offer are those everyday. You know. But it's largely pre-made stuff, isn't it? It's not so much you go in and buy carrots and broccoli and peas and you make a meal. It's more you buy you go in and you buy a salad or something like that and eat it. Yeah, it is. And and convenience. I, yes. And I've I very recently actually started using Amazon Prime now in uh, for, for for a variety of things. The first thing I ordered from Amazon Prime now, and for those of you who aren't aware, this is the service where Amazon delivers your product within two hours. I needed to print something out at home. I was working from home one day and I needed to print something and our printer had run out of ink because we don't use a printer very often. And I used Amazon Prime now and I had a new ink cartridge delivered to my house within two hours. I thought, that's remarkably convenient. I wonder what else I can do this for. It turns out you can do it for quite a lot of stuff on Amazon. And I've since used it several times to order last minute food and things like that. And I can see myself using it more. And that to me is exactly the kind of experience that I want to be able to have. And it's weird, isn't it? Because because we've we've had many high street shops that stock products all the time and if you need that particular product you just go to that shop and buy it but we all but then we moved so much to online and and the, the idea of having to wait at least one day for that product now becomes so weird that we almost want to go back and say well i want to be able to walk into a shop yeah and, and get it because i don't want to wait a day even though if you remember back in the day waiting one day for a delivery was was nothing it's like four to six weeks and you mm. would say well maybe i'll have this in the new year maybe for my next birthday so it seems quite strange but but because this is mostly focusing on i think groceries then it, it makes a lot more sense because it is that it's essentially amazon wanting to come in and and take space that maybe has been left vacant as a result of amazon's domination of yeah. retail in general here's the thing about those shops though Apparently, it costs a, it's a million dollars of hardware to run one of those shops, and the, the only ones they've done so far have been very small, really, comparatively compared to a, a normal shop. So they're looking at a major setup expense, and it's untried in most of the world. We don't know if people will take to it. I think for you know, you know, when you're at work, you know, we all go to Pret or eat or whatever, get our lunch from a shop like that. I think I feel like that's the segment they're going for far more than they are for the traditional supermarkets. But there's some value in that, and you know, the queues at lunchtime are horrendous. They are, which is why I had a gentleman uh, bicycle my dinner to the office today because uh, I didn't want to walk over to the fish and chip shop to get my battered fish and chips so you made a person go 100 meters on a bike no essentially they volunteered and i accepted by paying them to do so right fair enough yes it is fair enough it was a great business model and it's not every day that i have to do that but i had to stay work late 
If you have an opinion, though, on Amazon's push into the physical retail space in the UK, and I imagine many people have got strong views given Amazon's general uh, ability to crush the high street, then do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Do you welcome this? Is this a bad move? Any thoughts you have are very welcome. Hello at techpodcast.uk. You're listening to Text Message with Nate Langson. Do you have someone sitting next to you? Yes? Why not tell them about the show? You never know. Your new best friend and our newest listener could be just an awkward conversation away. EE kicked off 5G trials in the UK with a demonstration of the technology in London's Canary Wharf. This is according to... Um, let me just have a look who's who's on the byline <laughs> here. Oh, yes, it's it's Ian writing for his newspaper, The Mirror. Although I should say he writes for The Mirror. It's not his newspaper. He doesn't own it. If he did, we'd all be in a very different uh, situation. Yes, I suppose we would, wouldn't we? We would, yes. Um, so instead, I'm going to sit here and massage my own chest and let Ian tell me uh, the rest of what he wrote. Oh, thanks, Nate. <laughs> so the 5G trial... Is uh, it's only going to run for a couple of weeks. I went over to get a bit of a demo, and what I saw inside the EE cabin in Montgomery Square in Canary Wharf um, was a rack of equipment that they described as the phone. Uh, the problem, of course, is that there's no actual 5G phones available yet. I think they're a, they're probably expecting a delivery. I think in a couple of weeks for those. Um, I saw in the demo speeds of 1.2 gigabits per second, uh, but it's important to remember that speed isn't really the main selling point of 5G, uh, and we've talked about that in the past um yeah it's like low latency stuff internet of things autonomous vehicles right that kind of stuff yeah exactly um and uh because canary wharf is uh, you know a a massive place it makes a lot of sense to do it there there's big footfall Uh, but the next place is going to be shoreditch uh that's a bit more complicated and ee told me um that uh there's a lot of factors they they have buildings to deal with canary wharf is all owned by one you know one company uh so it's very easy there but in shoreditch obviously they're dealing with multiple building as they're dealing with leaseholders, they're dealing with geographical restrictions, which makes it much more difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. And that will give that whole thing will give EE a much broader understanding of what it's going to be like to roll that stuff out. Uh, the 5G phones themselves will probably start to appear in l- sort of limited quantities next year. I know Samsung is rumoured to be doing a bunch of S10s or whatever they'll be, um, and only one of those will be 5G. And I think probably it's not aimed at the mass market. Uh, So EE is going to spend the rest of this year and some of 2019 testing various installations uh, before a probable rollout next year. Now, I think this is only to be expected, and I've had a number of emails in my inbox over the last few months about, and particularly the last few weeks actually, from a variety of companies saying that they've got a 3G trial or they're doing this 3D test and, and things like that and you're right that that there's a misconception around what 5g is and what it can deliver compared to what we experienced with 4g marketing 4g was very much about more data hd streaming video Mm. all that kind of thing well i think he explained it quite well when i talked to them because um one of the one of the things that the antennas now do is that they're able to keep track of much more people so they're using I think it's 64 by 64 MIMO. So they have these sort of beam-forming things. So they can they can spot a phone, they can track it, and that means that they can use those frequencies more efficiently. So you could have maybe 10 phones in the area all using the same frequency, but the beam-forming allows them to differentiate which phone is which, which is ex- extremely clever, obviously. And very, very useful in a world where we're going to have, you know, 100 times more devices yeah. in any square footage of, of area. Yeah, and that w- I think that was the point, you know... That, I, and what I wrote in the article was essentially, if you think about 
um, how many devices you and I carry around. So we've both got 4G tablets, phones, and watches. Mm-hmm. So that's three devices where previously we would have, I would have had one. So from them, from their perspective, they really need to do this. And if you think about the, you know, say the footfall through Canary Wharf, I think they reckon it's about 150,000 people a day. And it's worth pointing out for anyone who isn't familiar with Canary Wharf that it is part of the the big business yeah. and com- and financial part of uh, of, yeah. of East London. It's, it's where a lot of the banks are headquartered in London. Yeah, for now. Yes, for now. But you were saying it's a it's a very different sort of area to say Shoreditch. It is, it is. I mean, obviously Shoreditch has its own set of challenges. Um, you know, I, I suppose the point is with Shoreditch, it's um, it's not controllable. So, and also you're looking at something that's a lot older in terms of the infrastructure. I mean, there's a little tidbit of information. Um, all of the mobile networks have um, the, the Canary Wharf Company provides infrastructure which enables them to tunnel signal into the underground shopping areas so you've got canary well you've got the building that the mirror is in the canada square um and underneath that is a huge shopping center and you get normal signal down there but that isn't by accident that's designed in it's they've got you know infrastructure down there to be those signals out you don't get that in shoreditch so you might get a basement bar with absolutely you know zero coverage so ee is going to be taking a lot of learning from that i would assume um and they should you know it should help them really learn how to do the whole thing and it's it's an interesting comparison when we think about outside of london because obviously you know while a lot of london gets prioritized in terms of the 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 fastest tech first because we have uh, the the most dense population but 5g is one of those things that i feel is going to be less beneficial to people outside of cities than 4g by quite a significant margin well yes because the because it it essentially runs on the three and a half gigahertz wi-fi band it's a little bit higher up it's right at the top end of 3.4 i think um which means that it's got okay propagation but it's not massive it mean you know i don't know what the range would be it won't do um it won't do big walls particularly well it's probably largely an outdoor thing and you also because it can't because the signal basically can't reach as far you need far more nodes and cell Mm. towers in order to get the kind of coverage that you need Mm. for it to be useful you know one of the big promises of 5g involves autonomous vehicles and the kind of networks these mesh networks that autonomous vehicles can create between themselves where each car can talk to the car in front and behind it and that car talks to the one behind it and so forth so you 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 get this very smart network of cars and because the latency is so low the the amount of time it takes for for a piece of data to get from one device to another and back again it's so much lower Mm. and so much faster than 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 any other technology that we're using wirelessly at the moment that any any small gap in coverage or reception could potentially break the whole system or at mm-hmm. least make the whole network only as strong as its weakest point and you've got to solve that and in the yeah. cities maybe you can just by flooding it with with uh with cell towers and and putting it on the tops of buildings and things but i remember talking to uh one of the women who is in charge of rolling out 5g and and 4g as well for for bt and she said that you know one of the big challenges is that if you want to install 5g uh, on top of a 4g cell which is which is required 5g currently requires a 4g uh, cell to be installed then 
that's let's say you've got one of those on top of a building and somebody say the the owner of that building wants to turn that building from a 10-story building to a 20-story building because there's no horizontal space to expand across you've got to expand upwards then taking off that node makes it incredibly challenging to keep up a network that that has such small amount of wiggle room between certain areas you know you could potentially create a black spot in that area that on previous wireless technologies wouldn't have been so much of a problem because the coverage you know would naturally overlap and you'd be okay so there's lots of these challenges that exist and i think when we get out to rural areas even though the the advantages will be massive for the people who get them i think it's going to be a lot longer for them to get them than yeah. it was for than it was for 4g and that and that problem is only going to be compounded with the, whatever the next generation is where they're going to switch to nanometer wave you know, and and then you're talking about meters rather than hundreds of meters of coverage. So we've got um we've got some challenges to overcome. If you have any thoughts on these challenges, if you have any insights on five G, of course, let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk, or maybe you could just sit down and uh, have a nice cup of tea and load up Twitter and send us a message to at textmessagepod. That's just as good way of getting in touch with us. Even though you can also strap messages to birds and send them to us that way. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast. If you have an opinion, simply find the nearest pigeon and sellotape your thoughts to it before encouraging it to fly to our studio. Alternatively, send us an email using hello at techpodcast.uk. Please note, pigeons will not be returned. Well, Ian, how do you know um, that uh, day one game patches are getting out of hand? These are the, <laughs> these are the patches that are... You buy a new game, you've just come back from the shop, you put it in your console, and you're forced to download an update before you can even play. I'm not too bothered if it's a physical piece of media that you bought. So um, then I sort of understand that there's going to be a day one patch. No, they should make it better before they ship it. Well, they should, but what's really not understandable is when you buy a game like Forza Horizon and there is you know you you you, you preload it and then on the day of release there's another 60 gig to download well the the, the question I was asking and if, if if you'll just sort of do me the uh, the, the great honor sir of hmm. just thinking back about 30 seconds before we went <laughs> off topic the question I asked was how do you know day one game patches are getting out of hand <clears throat> the reason I asked this question is because I have an answer prepared oh right here it comes um, it's when stores start selling the games several hours earlier than they're supposed to because it's going to take hours for their customers to download that day one patch in order to play the game that perhaps they queued up for several hours to purchase. That's what Engadget wrote this week, and we entirely agree. I think we do. Do we? Yes. We do. Engadget's John Fingers specifically wrote that UK retail chain Game is letting people buy Call of Duty Black Ops 4, or Codblops 4, as we like to say uh, around these towers, as early as six hours ahead of time to make sure they had time to download the necessary launch day patch in time for the official midnight debut on October the 12th. Ian, would you like to hazard a guess? And I know you've got the show notes in front of you and already know the answer, but let's pretend for a second you didn't. <clears throat> if I said that the Codblops 4 patch was going to be an essential download on day one, how large a patch would you think, in terms of gigabytes, that we're talking about? Well, I mean, because I do know the answer, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to answer it with my assumption in that it will be the whole game download. It won't be, because oh. because I think it'll be more. That I think you'll be surprised. Really? I'll cut to the chase, everybody. Uh, it's 50 gigabytes, 5-0, which is an astonishing size, because as Ian correctly uh, suggests, many games are not that large. Isn't that the maximum capacity of... Um 
a Blu-ray no. anyway. Oh, because well, they've got more layers now. Yeah, you, you can get more. But I mean, you know, there are some games now that are 100, 120 gigabyte downloads. You know, some of the, I think Forza actually, the new Forza is, is going to be a whopper. I've got I've got the for, Forza 4 um, Horizon um, and it's not too bad actually. I think they've got it down from last year. Mm. I think it's only 60 gig or something like that. Some of them are a hell of a lot more. I think the, oh, the yeah. new Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I think was 70-something. I think Gears of no, War 4 is something like 80 gigabytes. And that's another one that got patched when I got it. I, well, I didn't get it new, but I got it and then I immediately had to download the whole game again. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what we're faced with. And, you know, bear in mind that this this means that you get home and you put the disc into your console. And, and consoles now... They want you to copy the game files to the hard drive to begin with. Yeah. That takes a bit of time. But then on top of that, when you fire up the game, it will then say there's a necessary patch that you have to install to play it. Mm. Now, strictly speaking, I believe if you don't have your console connected to the internet, it will at least let you play the version that's on the disc. But if you are connected, as almost all of these consoles are, you're going to have to download a 50 gigabyte patch. Now, it's it's it might not to some people sound like that big a deal. For example, my home broadband is about 400 megabits a second it's fiber optic mm. that won't take me very long at all but i looked up what ofcom's most recent figures are for the average broadband speed in the uk so i could try and work out how much of a problem this would be at the moment well rather this was in may 2018 according to ofcom the average in britain across all types of connection was 46 megabits per second okay now at that speed i calculated using an online tool that it would take two and a half hours to download 50 gig this patch yeah. okay that's fine you could probably yeah. do that in this six hour window including the install and the getting to and from the shop however i went on isp review and saw a write-up that it had posted earlier this year that for adsl connections so this is these are what people who don't have fiber have you know it's going through your phone line the average 24 hour download speed in urban areas was 10.7 megabits per second and 7 megabits per second in rural areas and to download this day one patch on those connections respectively are 11 hours and 17 hours so if you're in a rural connection on average it's going to take you a 17 hours at the top of your connection just to download a patch to play the game which is kind of obscene yeah in a way get a switch you know because their patches are tiny mm. it takes a few minutes to install a switch patch yeah not sure that's going to get too many people out of this hole but i see <laughs> no I, it's not i see, I see that, the point you're raising yeah they don't they don't do those kind of games and yeah it's not powerful enough really but <laughs> it's just but, but this is why i wanted to raise it because i mean you know we, we've got to the point now where retailers are you know physically having to open and sell their games early which in a sense i suppose might not be too bad because it means if you would have to queue up at midnight to get the game you can now queue up at 6 p.m which in many yeah. ways might be quite might be quite pleasant but just to accommodate the fact that these these patches are so huge and i think we should be putting more pressure on games developers to issue a different method of update that that basically negates this this issue. Am I am well, I being too too? Expect I mean, I, I don't see any reason that you couldn't provide people with a USB key or something like that. But again, you, you know, it's extra cost, isn't it? I mean, there is an argument that says, you know, why are we forcing people to buy a disc? Or even if you buy the disc and you um, you know you want you, you're going to go to a store, you're going to buy the disc, they should offer you the opportunity to preload an aspect of that game. So, for example, you go, I'm going to go and buy this thing, preload, and then you go and get the disc, and the disc authenticates the purchase, 
and then you play. But yes. I guess the argument against that would be if you were going to do that, why wouldn't you just buy, buy it in the online store? Because it might They're be too much. Because too it might expensive. be more money on the online store. Yes. And I would actually. Well, I, why don't they just address that then wh- and just get rid of the idea of physical media? Because retailers want to be able to undercut in order to compete. I was talking sure. to the CEO of Codemasters literally this morning, mm. and he said it doesn't make a difference to them because they get paid the same amount of money. Anyway, like whether yeah. you buy it online, because it's the retail that's, that's setting those costs a lot of the time, um, and they and they do it in order to get the sale because they want yeah. they don't want to lose a customer to online. Yeah, so Codemaster sells it to the retailers for you know X amount of money, and then the retailers free to make whatever margin they feel is appropriate on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that when it's Sony doing it or Microsoft, you you look at it, and it's actually particularly bad with the Switch as an example, because I wanted to buy Mario Kart and. It's it's the original retail price on the online store. Um, they very occasionally will have discounts, or they'll sometimes uh, the, you know they'll sometimes do something where it's they will drop the price. But for the most part, it's the retail price. And then you know you go to Argos or whatever, and you can maybe save ten quid. It's just crazy. But then I suppose there is an advantage with the Switch's limited storage. You get a card. You don't have to install it on the drive. You can play it literally immediately. It's like old games, old gaming, old school. And that is what we strive for, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, that is what we strive for. Um, so we would like to open this up to a little bit of debate in the uh, in the, the, the community of listeners that we have here. Uh, you're a beautiful bunch. You're an insightful bunch. And more importantly, you're our bunch. Uh, and we'd, we'd like to hear your, your thoughts. Um, uh, rather, we'd like to hear them in written form at hello at techpodcast.uk. How you feel about uh, the idea of buying something and then immediately not being able to use it because essentially the developers didn't do their jobs well enough <laughs> to finish it in time for manufacturing. Uh, but let us know any thoughts you have, hello at techpodcast.uk. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup. Topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. We had a lovely message from Randeep uh, this week, actually, to hello at techpodcast.uk. And I'm not going to read all of this out, really, because um, I think he sent he sent it as a follow-up to a message of his that we read out a few weeks ago. But um, he was very, very grateful that we read out his email. I mean, he, he said, in short, thanks for reading out my email a few weeks ago. It's about facial recognition by police forces. I honestly never expected you to. And because of your break and me actually being o- me only having just caught up... Um, uh, I actually, he said, if I actually, he says, I dropped the weight I was holding in the gym when you mentioned my name. I hope you're doing something less. He's probably dropped another weight now. I, I, I really hope, I really hope not. Maybe you're just carrying a, you know, a nice pair of melons or, uh, or, or a hamster. I, they can survive a fall. Uh, I, I, 
I've heard. Yeah, they can. Anyway, he said, uh, I'm sure for you guys it's just a nice email from a listener, but you were incredibly kind about saying how much you appreciated personal stories from listeners. And so the reason I wanted to read this email, this follow-up email from Randy Powell, is because he's absolutely right. We do. One of the things that we would like to encourage more of is, is for people to email in with their own personal stories about how technology has affected their lives, things they've seen, things they've done. A lot of the time, in fact, pretty much all of the time, we encourage people to email because they've got a comment on something we've talked about. Um, but the inbox is basically open for anyone who has any thoughts on tech ideally something that's sort of uk tech or, or very you know a, a personal story something that you've experienced but that is what the email account is there for we'd, we'd love people to to send in those comments and kind of help liven up the um, the latter part of the show with uh, with a, a little more of a personal touch so if you've had any experiences or anything you'd like to just share with us do send them in hello at techpodcast.uk uh, it'd be great to be able to sort of read out one nice like a letter of the week mm. each each week. And we do like them. We love them. But on that topic, we uh, we had a few people writing in with messages about their iOS screen time usage in response to our request for such figures a couple of weeks ago. We wanted to find out what the average number of times was that, that people tend to pick up the phone uh, each day. This is a feature that iOS 12 allows you to do. And we were we were getting a few in real time when we were recording a couple of weeks ago from people in the chat room saying, oh, I've, you know, I picked my phone up 150 times or 200 times on average per day over the last week. You know, is that normal? How does that compare? And we didn't have the data at the time to figure it out. So a few people have written in, in addition to the ones we talked about last week. Uh, John Evans says his average is 115 pickups per day on average for the phone over the last week. Uh, Liam wrote in, Liam Mulholland said his daily average was 83. Robert Gill wrote in and said his was 72. Uh, at the mine, I, I checked mine just before we started recording, and mine stands at 75. So <laughs> 75 pickups on average per day is in the lower end of listeners we've heard from so far. I'm looking at Ian's uh, beautiful pink face over there. Um, what's your average? Uh, what's my average? Okay, so um, I'm looking. I'm looking at. I think I'm looking at today. Hold on, I'll do it for the last seven days. That's the one. <clears throat> 178 a day. Good lord! So that is. I mean, the highest we've had on here on the email so far is 115. So Ian definitely takes the biscuit for. Um, for I mean, that is actually alarming. Yeah. I, I, I mean, today alone. What am I on? Um, uh, Should brought my drum in. Yeah, drumstick. Uh, 178 today. Wow. So, oh no, that is no. Sorry, that's the last seven days. Fascinating stuff. This is what people uh, tuned in to listen, uh, listen to. Um, but no, I mean it is a huge amount. And but we'd welcome some more from people. Uh, so do keep them coming in. Hello at techpodcast.uk. You can send us a screenshot of your screen time, or if you just want to uh, read out, uh, type out the numbers. I'm sure Android has a similar feature. We don't want to limit this just to iOS. But it'd be great to to get a few more in for next week and see if we can figure out what the the average pickup t- numbers uh, per week. Uh, so per day is for the uh, for the text message community. I suspect that it'll be along the higher uh, along the higher counts. I would think so, given our audience and uh, and things. But but hey ho, let us know, please. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Text message, of course, keeps you informed about the British tech landscape. But let's check in with our friends at Daily Tech News Show in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of technology over the last week. Hey, thanks. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talk about how 
future restaurants might not even have their own kitchen. Just rent one in a warehouse. They wouldn't even have a location. It's cloud kitchens on the horizon for delivery-focused restaurants. Also, we talk about the Facebook hack and what it might mean for you and look into the rumors about Apple's TV service being tied to their hardware. Are people going to complain? Find out on dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. Uh, It means the world. You're keeping Ian in a fresh supply of suits. Uh, You're keeping me in cream. And you're keeping my cat, my giant African land snails, and my new puppy, Bruce, fed and warm. That's the contribution you make. Also, microphones and so forth. Um, We'd welcome any more patrons to join us at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Helps keep the show going. And obviously you get an ad-free extended version every week as well. And I think Ian and I will see you, I think, next week. Yes, we will. Mm -hmm. Oh, and happy birthday to my mum, Alison. You've been listening to Text Message with your host, Nate Langson. If you get value from the show, please consider joining our many supporters on Patreon. You can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads and as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation, so why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.